The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them out. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested for us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Um, uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I just pray over this congregation. I pray over people here just coming in and just committing to the body, um, committing to uh, following you, Lord. Um, Lord, it's easy to just neglect um, you, Lord, in our busy life, uh, neglect like hearing you and what you have to say, Lord. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray for us. I pray that we could just be still. I pray that we could just understand what you're saying. And Lord, I just pray for us to just Focus on you today, Lord. Amen. All right. Thanks, Even. Good morning, everyone. All right. Well, this is your first time here. My name is Randall. I just want to welcome you this morning. One of the pastors here. And um, if, again, you're just joining us, you're thinking, okay, what series are they going through? Well, this is the perfect day to jump in because today we are starting through the book of Hebrews throughout the summer. And we're going to be doing an overview of what's happening in the book of Hebrews uh, because it ties in perfectly to what we've started with the beginning of the year as we've been going through the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is the Old Testament. And so it's the very first book of the Bible. And and we've been walking through from the creation of the world to fall to uh, really the redemption of how God is leading towards Jesus. And so we've been talking about how Jesus is all through the book of Genesis. And today we're jumping into the New Testament 
But it's the book that particularly in, 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 in the New Testament helps us to understand really what the Old Testament is about. And it's the same answer that we've been talking about throughout the whole series of Genesis. It's all about Jesus. And um, so today we're going to be starting in, Genesis, or in Hebrews 1, um, going through 2-4. And here's the message for today. It's Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. Um, one of the joys for me this past weekend, uh, getting away, we had 34 guys who got away uh, for this retreat. It was amazing. And um, at the end of it, you know, we were able to uh, take some time and really just meditate and sing the gospel. And so Billy did a great job of leading us this weekend in the music portion, but just hearing the gospel over and over and over again. Um, and today, if you're thinking, well, what is the gospel? It is good news. It's the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And, and you know, for me, like when you're a pastor, you, you, you talk about the Bible a lot, but just being able to sit down and listen. You know, and so I was in one of those small groups. We had about eight guys in our group, and we were just listen, I was just listening to what God was doing in the hearts and lives of the guys that were there. It's just amazing because again and again, they're talking about God's word. They're talking about how they're being changed by the scriptures. And they'll be talking about how Jesus is changing their life. And so if you want to know what this church is all about, it's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about this, this in Hebrews 1, this idea of Jesus over everything. Um, in April 2018, Michael Shermer, he wrote an article in the Scientific American entitled, the number of Americans with no religious affiliation is rising. And here's what he says. He says this. And it's a long quote, but I think it's going to be helpful for us today as we jump into this. He said, is it, important, it is important to note that these nuns, he's talking about people who just don't believe in anything, are not necessarily atheists. Many have moved from mainstream religion to new age spiritual movements as evidence in a 2017 Pew poll that found an increase from 19% in 2012 to 27% in 2017 of those who reported being spiritual but not religious. Among this cohort, only 37% described their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. Even among atheists and agnostics, um, belief in things usually associated with religious faith can worm its way through. A 2014 survey conducted by the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture found that of the 13.2% who called themselves atheists or agnostic, 32% answered in the affirmative to the question, do you think there is life or some sort of conscious existence after death? And here's what the writer says. He says, huh? Even more incongruent, 6% of these atheists and agnostics also said that they believed in the bodily resurrection of the dead. Here's his comment. You know, like Jesus. Here's the thing. As the, as the writer is, is thinking about our beliefs in our society, he's being intellectually honest. And he's saying, we are all over the place. We're all over the place. People who would identify as atheists or agnostic, yet still holding on to some of the basic tenets that we would believe as Christians. See, we live in a pluralistic society with many beliefs. 
different views, voices about God, spirituality, and religion. And currently, what's happening in our culture is that we are starting to move past postmodern postmodernism, which in postmodernism, it, it questioned everything and rejected God. And we're starting to become more open to spiritual, spiritual realities and religion. You see, many have found that traditional atheism just hasn't worked. Maybe today that's what brought you here. And some that are describing themselves as atheists or agnostic are starting to say, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious. See, there's still this thing that we hold on to that there is this belief that maybe there's a God out there. But how do I get to know who he is? How do I get to know him? And so some would say, I am agnostic. Like, I, I don't believe that it's possible to know God. But maybe he exists. And so that begs the question, can we know God? And if so, how? Who is God? What has he done? What is he like? And what does it mean for our lives if it's true? Again, this summer, we're going to study through the book of Hebrews, and and it's very relevant for us here in San Diego because the audience that the author, who we don't know who it is, and it's the only New Testament book that we don't have an author, but it's very common to see that in the Old Testament. He is writing most likely to urban Christians, to urban Christians, people who lived in a city, who lived in a very pluralistic society with many beliefs like you and me. See, these beliefs become competing systems where what happens is we have all of these different gods and different beliefs and all of them are equal weight. But the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians to encourage them and to say this. He's saying, Our God is not like every other God. And we don't have to wonder if God has spoken because he already has. He has already shown us who he is. God has not left this up to debate, but he has fully revealed himself where? In the Son, Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways He's the only way. He's the only way. Today, if we are confused about who God is and and we would maybe label ourselves as, as an agnostic, it's not even possible to know who God is. Today, we find that God himself speaks through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is what the Hebrew writer is telling us as we start this amazing book. And so, he does this in three ways. He tells us, Number one, when God spoke. When God spoke. Number two, what it means. And number three, how we're transformed. When God spoke, what it means, and how we're transformed. And so we're going to walk through all three of these today from the text that uh, we're looking at. And we're going to start with the first point. It's when God spoke. And so we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 in the first chapter. Here's what it says. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So what we find out first is that the writer of Hebrews is saying long ago at many times in many ways. Again, how are we to know who God is? Are we just to look around and, and make this up? No, the writer says that long ago in, at many times and in many ways, God has not left us in the dark, but he has spoken to us. He has spoken to us. Right? We're, not, we're not left in confusion whether or not we can actually know who God is. But God has spoken clearly. This week uh, was the last week of school for my kids. Uh, they were excited. They were looking forward to it, and so were we, right? We were like, okay, great. Um, different rhythm, different timing. Uh, it's helpful. Uh, but one of the things that uh, they do as one of their rhythms in the morning is, you know, they get their backpacks together, they get their snacks, they get all of those things, plop them in their backpack and, and get going. And uh, my youngest one this week, um, she was getting her stuff together and she was just kind of all over the place. And she puts her stuff in her uh, backpack, she thinks, she, she, she says this as she's walking out the door. She looks at it outside and she's like, hmm, do I have my snack bag? I don't know. Oh, well, toodaloo. And that's what she said. She said, toodaloo. <laughs> Like, where did she get that? And um, here's the thing. Some of you today, you think that God has just kind of like, kind of thrown things together. If you believe that God created the universe, right? Like, he's just kind of out there and he's just like, I don't even know if I've spoken to the people about really who I am. They don't, oh, toodaloo. Like, you know, it's like, just going to leave it up to them, figure it out. The Hebrew writer is telling us that long ago God spoke and he continues to speak and share with us who he is. And so how did God speak? Well, it says he spoke through the prophets. And so what we've been going through in the book of Genesis, again, is what we see is that God spoke in his creation and who he is and what he has done. And that he's not left it up to us to, to figure that out. And what do we see that the prophets all pointed to? Well, there's this interesting verse in John 5.39. And Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees. And here's the thing about the Pharisees. The, the teachers of the law, they knew God's word. And here's what he says to him in, in John 5.39. He says this to him. He says, you search the scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, okay, you think that just knowing a bunch of things about God is going to get you toward God. But he says there's a point towards all the Old Testament. The point is, as, as we look at long ago by the prophets, when we, we look at uh, what Moses wrote, right, as we look at Genesis, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We look through the prophets throughout time. What, what, what does it all point to? Jesus says it all points to me. It all points to me. And so as we look at the scriptures and what God said, it's all pointing us back to him. And as we've talked about before, it's not the, the characters in the Old Testament that are the heroes of the story, but it is God who is the hero of the story every time. 
What can we learn about God and what he has done through what he's spoken through the prophets? Because this, he says this, it's all leading towards in the last days he spoke by his son. Now in the Greek, the original language of Hebrews, um, we see that when he's, he's writing here, he's, he's trying to pull out to, for us that God spoke multiple times through the prophets, but he spoke with finality through Jesus. He, it's the period, right? Like you, you, you want to know who God is. You want to know what he's done. It is the, Jesus is the period. It's done. The finality of who God is can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. For Christians, Jesus is the final word. He's the final word. And so what has God said? When he spoke, he pointed us to the person and work of Jesus. And so again, if you don't know Jesus and you don't know what he's done, today I want to point you to him. Start with him. And so second part is this. What does it mean? What, what, what it means is this. In the verses 3 and 4, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word, or by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now some uh, believe that the, the arguments that were happening within this, this church that he's writing to was that there was possibly angel worship, right? That, that there was angel worship that was happening, and so Jesus is, is not superior to the angels, but we can worship all of these different things other than Jesus. But there are two parts to this text that's, that helps us today, and it's, it starts in verse 3 with some very high theology about God. Very high theology because it is up there. Here's what he says. He, says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and of the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the, the word of his power. What he's saying here is Jesus is not equal to any other God, goddess, angel, but Jesus is separate. He is different. He is God. Colossians 1, 16 uh, through 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. I had a professor... Um, Tell me, one time he said, um, he says, you know how this world is held together right now? It is by the power of Jesus. Without Jesus, it is chaotic and it will not hold together. By the power of Christ. So it's very high theology, but, but, but listen to this. It's not just high up there theology of this is who God is, but it, it's very close proximity because look at verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, what we find in Jesus is that he is holy. He's almighty God. He's not like anyone else or any other thing. But also that he was willing to come near and solve the problem of our sin. 
of our sin. Right, what, what, what he is is he is holy and he is separate from us. He is higher and lifted up than we are, yet he is humble to come near to you and me. That's the message of the gospel today. Right, because it's not, the, it, it's this, like he is a holy judge. He is just. Yet the, the, the Bible tells us he's, he's holy and just, Yet he is humble and he's our justifier. He's the one that came, lived the life we were meant to live, died for our sins. He came into the mess. F.F. Bruce says this. He says, the, the wisdom which created the worlds and maintains them in their due order may well beget in us a sense of wonder and awe. But the grace which has provided a remedy for the defilement of sin by a life freely offered up to God on our behalf calls forth a sense of personal indebtedness which the completion of divine activity on the cosmic scale could never evoke. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that, you know, like we get all these lofty thoughts about God, that God is there, that God is high and lifted up. But to, to get to the place where we could say that that God wanted a relationship with me. That God would love me. That's radical. Right? Sitting in a group this week, um, one of the guys in our group, he said, you know, the thing is, like, for me, I, I, I try and I try and I try and I try. And I have those, like, really good weeks and those bad weeks, you know. But I'm like, it, I really try hard to get close to God because I, he, he said, I grew up as a pastor's kid and so I've got this like performance thing in me. That's like, I gotta get my life together. I gotta get my life straight to get close to God. But what he said is, he said, I, I need to know the gospel because the gospel brings me back to the reality that I could never measure up. It tells me the bad news. I could never measure up. Yet it brings me in close proximity to Jesus because I know that he died for sinners. Right, I try to work so hard to clean my life up, but I could never do it. And so what happens is we need to understand that it's already done in Jesus. And then God cleans up our life. But what many times happens is this. We, we think that, oh, I got to do this. I got to get my life together. And then God will love me and he'll save me. No, the finality of Jesus coming and the picture of who we have of God in Christ, there's a period, but also the way in which our sins are taken care of, your sin, my sin, what does it mean? It means that there is a period in Jesus as well. That it's not if I can be forgiven, but I can be forgiven. It's not if there is grace, but there is grace. And there's a period in Jesus. That's what it means. In 2005, um, Albert Moeller wrote an article called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, the New American Religion. And he breaks down the research of a man named Christian Smith from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And in his study on teenagers and their beliefs about God. 
This is interesting. Here's what he says. Moeller writes, he says, when Christian Smith took a close look at the religious beliefs held by American teenagers, they found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something the researchers identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. Smith explains this faith is about uh, belief in a particular kind of God, one uh, who is not personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved. But of the, the time, uh, most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. Now that was 2005, it's 2019, and so many of you might be in that age bracket where this study was taken. And today we can come in here with that same idea that this is who we think God is. But this view that sadly many believe in America is not Christianity. What the author tells us here is that Jesus is not a divine butler or cosmic therapist, but instead he is an all-powerful, holy God who upholds the universe by the power of his word, yet came so close that he became one of us and died for our sins. Jesus can't be compared or stacked up against any other religious leader or idol. He's supreme over all. Again, commentator F.F. Bruce points out, he says, Jesus is the prophet through whom God has spoken his final word to men. He's the priest through whom God has accomplished a perfect work of cleansing his people's sins. And he is the king who sits enthroned in the palace of chief honor alongside the majesty on high. See, in, in Jesus, what we find is he is the prophet, priest, king, that trumps any other prophet, priest, and king that we see in Scripture. And so, third point is this. I get all that stuff, right? Like, okay, get that this is who God is. We find him in Jesus. I, I kind of get what it means, you know, for me. But, but, like, how are we changed by this? How are we changed by this? Well, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 helps us. He says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at the first by the Lord, and it is attested to us by those who heard. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. How are we changed? The author is, 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 is giving us a stern warning here. Here's what the warning is. It's that we can look at all that Jesus has done. We can look at his person, we can look at his work, we can look at all the things that he's done. We look at all what it means, and we could push it to the side and say, no, you know, I need something else. I need something else. Like, that Jesus stuff, that's good, but it's not enough. 
And so the author leaves us with this morning. And he says, verse 1, he says, we must pay much closer attention. We must pay much closer attention to what was just said here. Right? Much closer attention than what I can give you right now in 30, 40 minutes. We need to pay very close attention. He says, lest we drift away from it. As Christians, why do we need retreats? Right? Why do we need getaways? Why, why do we need those types of things? Because we drift away. What is that? It's that sinful nature that's still within us that, that pulls us away from God, that makes us feel like, okay, I can do this. I can get this. I can, I can do this on my own now. Thank you, Jesus, for the salvation part, but I'm going to move on to something else. I got it from here, God. Lest we move past something that's so important, we start to drift away. He says in verse 3, he says, we neglect such a great salvation. We neglect it. We put it on the shelf as if it's just another message in all the messages that we hear throughout the day. And we neglect it. What's he saying? He says we drift to other beliefs and teachings that we think will fulfill our lives. And we just assimilate into the culture or what everybody else is doing and, and, put, you know, and put Jesus up there with everything else on our shelf. We believe that the message is Jesus plus something else. And we neglect the great salvation that we have in him. 1 Corinthians 15. I went through this with the guys. I said, okay, guys, like, listen up here. Family meeting, family powwow here. Here, let, let's, let's meet up real quick. And I said this. I said, 1 Corinthians 15 says this. It says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you stand, gospel you're being saved in. It says, if you hold firmly to the teaching I, I, I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. What I, I received, I passed on to you of force and importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Hear me today. We never graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from Jesus died for my sins. Because as we talked, we said this. It's that the cross doesn't get smaller in your life, but it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your life because you realize how holy God is. And Many times we are surprised at how sinful we are. But as God shows us the truth and said, hey, I still loved you despite that. And I've done everything to pay for your sin in the cross. And what Jesus has done for you, it becomes better and better and better. Better and better and better. You hold tightly onto it. You don't neglect it. You say, this is the answer. And so the, the, the author is, is telling Christians, pay close attention to the gospel. Don't neglect it. You want to grow? You want to change? Look deeply into the gospel. First Peter 1.12, Peter tells us, he, he says this, he says that the angels, which, again, the writer is saying Jesus is greater than the angels. He says the angels longed to look into the things of the gospel. That's what, you want to know what's like 
on their mind, they were wanting to know more about the gospel. Yet we push it to the side. Timothy Keller says Jesus does not bring good news. He is the good news. Right, like we, we think it's just, it's just words. But what we find in the gospel of John is it says that he is the word. He is the word. And so when we receive Jesus, it's not just words, but it's the living word. And it's a personal word. See, they were neglecting this message of Jesus for some other focus. C.J. Mahaney wrote in the book, The Cross-Centered Life, he says, uh, to grow in the passion for what Jesus has done, increase your understanding of what he has done. Never be content with your grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than any diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. Again, my friend told me one time, he says, you know, you are in a dangerous spot when the good news becomes old news. Dangerous spot. And that is what the Hebrew writer is telling us today in Hebrews 2, 4. 2, 1 through 4. Right in that section. So, as we wrap up, how do we apply this to our lives? The first one is this. Are you embracing the real Jesus? Are you embracing the real Jesus, right? Or is Jesus just the, the therapeutic, moralistic deism, like he's out there somewhere and I'm going to let him into parts of my life, but not my whole life? Because Jesus demanded, he says, you must die to yourself to follow me. Die to yourself. Follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, and for us to understand this, it, I love what um, J.I. Packer says. This is about the incarnation. Right? You're like, this isn't Christmas? I just want you to think about this for a minute because he's telling us that the, the son came. The son did all of these things. Jesus came. He says, J.I. Packer says this. He said, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. That's just one part of Jesus' life. One part. He says, how, how staggering is that? Of what God has done for us in his son. This is a whole life's work of learning who Jesus is and what he's done. And so do you know the real Jesus? Have you gone to his word? Number two, how is God speaking to you? How's God speaking to you? Right, are we just waiting for like this feeling or some sense of like, okay, I think there's like direction out there. God spoke to us clearly through his word, the Bible. And, and again, I live in this generation, man. I, 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 I don't know other generations, but it feels like our generation has more access to the Bible than ever before, yet we neglect it more than ever before. And let's be honest, we got so many distractions and things that will take us away that we think we can put on the same level as God's word, and that'll fulfill my life. But my question is, is it working? Is it changing you? Is it working? 
For many of us, we're still in depression. We still have terrible thoughts about thought lives. We, 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 we're still struggling. Will you believe in what God has spoken? He's spoken through the prophets. He, he's come near to us and spoken through his son. Will you listen to what God is saying through his word? I love that verse in uh, Luke 24 because it's like, you know, Jesus just shows up and there's these two guys just talking about Jesus. And, and then Jesus says, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, you don't know? I'm talking about Jesus, you know? Just get here? It's so funny because it is Jesus. And, and so he's like, yeah, tell me about him. And there's, oh, well, he did all these things. And people think he's got, you know, all this stuff, like rose from the dead. And she's like, interesting. And then Jesus does a Bible study with them. He does a Bible study. He says, okay, um, you didn't know that that was going to happen? You didn't know that the, there's going to be a death? Let me show you all through Scripture. And so he opens up the Bible to him. He starts showing them all throughout Scripture. He says, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. I, I wish I could have been at that Bible study, you know, like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> like, man. But you know what it said about them? It says that their hearts burned. Their hearts burned when they, when they were with him with his words, with what he's done. Do you know you have those same words that Jesus used with those, those people that he was speaking with? But as you see Christ more and more and more, it's, it's your heart will burn for him. So how is God speaking to you? And has he spoken to you through his son, Jesus? Lastly, do you believe that the gospel is enough? What are you, what are you looking to other than the gospel? And I'm going to be real. I'm going to be 100 on this one, okay? Some of you get that. You're like, okay. <laughs> okay, I got you. Some of you think that the Enneagram test is going to be the answer to all your life's problems. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are out there. You're like, I follow them on Instagram. I, got, I just got to take this test, the Enneagram. I'm a three, and so this is what my life is, and da 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 Like, those things can be helpful. But some of us think that that's the answer to our life. And I just want you to know that that's not the gospel. You think that some self-study, some self-help book is going to be the answer to your life? You think that, that Christianity is just like Jesus plus a bunch of all these other ideas? I might be stepping on toes, but here's the thing. I, I, I am telling you. They all fall short in comparison to Jesus and the gospel. And until you tell me, hey, Randall, I've just exhausted the gospel and I've just learned so much about it. And I just know so much about it. I, I just got to go read some other things. Until you get to that point, which you won't. <laughs> just come to the word and learn about him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in Spiritual Depression. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those, those thoughts that, that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And he, he's talking about Psalm 42, but he says, Now this man's treatment was this. 
Instead of le- allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now my question is this. What do you speak to yourself when you're depressed, when you're struggling, when you feel like a failure, when you've just got guilt, you are just overridden with guilt and fear? What do you speak to yourself? What do you say? And would you be equipped to speak to yourself the gospel? Because 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, the Apostle Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I want you to know that that's my heart for you is that you know that the gospel is enough, that Jesus over everything, he is the good news. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19 says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Again, we think that there's so much wisdom out there apart from God's word and apart, what God, apart from what God has done. And there's some helpful things, but none of them, none of them can come to the comparison of the goodness of God and his word and what he's done. Because you know that word power? It's the word dunamis. And it's the, the, the word that's used throughout scripture about God's power in creating the universe, in creating all things. He says, you want to know where the power is for your life? The power of God? He says, it's the cross. It is the word of the cross. So I'll continue to point you to that again and again. And that's what we'll see all throughout the book of Hebrews, all throughout scripture. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that we don't have to guess, we don't have to wonder if you're there. But we can know. Because you've spoken to us through the Son, Jesus Christ, that 2,000 years ago lived, died, resurrected from the dead. And that's the, the historical truth that we have to really lay our hat on and say, okay, th- this is my life. This is what it's about. So today, may we remember all the good things that Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.